With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number Hello, everyone. You're listening to Bow Red Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by the one, the only, Big Fat Trunk. How's it going tonight, BFT? Hey, so, so tonight, I've had a really, really crappy day. I've had a Bill O'Brien's offensive scheme kind of day. <laughs> so I've got a beer, and so Matt can see Matt and I are doing a video call as we're doing this. <laughs> oh, man, that would be hilarious if we actually like, did a real video call to put out there. Yeah. So, so I'm already a beer in. There will be a couple more in me by the end of this evening, and then I'm going to go hit the, my heavy bag for a while, and then I'll be ready for night night time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I'm super flustered at all, like some of my words is because I'm you're falling in love with this beautiful man I'm staring at the entire time I'm doing the show. <laughs> it's very, very distracting. I'm I'm surprised you're not blinded by the bald. <laughs> well anyways did you know that the houston texans are now a 500 football team you know what matt you always get to did you know me i'm gonna turn i'm gonna turn that around on you today because they are just out and they're hot off the presses did you know that the houston texans offense under the guidance of bill o'brien with guys like deshaun watson and DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, and Lamar Miller are 27th in DVOA after this past week. That's and a huge job. Offensive DVOA. Yeah, they dropped six or four slots from 23. And uh, here are the teams in back of us. Sam Darnold, the turnover machine, he's, gonna, he's not going to be a pro quarterback, is 28. Marcus Mariota, 29. The Cleveland Browns, remember they had Tyrod Taylor starting the first couple of games where he was just a disaster zone, 30th. 31st is Arizona with uh, Sam Bradford and Josh Rosen. And 32nd, I think we all know the answer to that one, is the terrible Buffalo Bills. But Big Matt, that is some atrocious company the Houston Texans offense is keeping right now. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was pretty hilarious. And uh, it was an awful game for them offensively. I'm looking at their like week by week DVOA rankings real quick, and they had a rating of negative 64.8 percent against Buffalo last week. And the lowest they had so far this year is that negative 22.8 percent they had against New England. But like negative 64, like I've seen like negative 120. Like the, I think that Jacksonville game was like negative 120. Negative 64 is uh, you know, absolutely horrible. You rarely see something that bad at all. And it's even worse considering the talent that this team has, too. Yeah, you know, again, I went on the rant last week. You know, where my, where's my unicorn? 
my unicorn is not pooping brisket and, and peeing good beer. It's just, it's in fact, the unicorn's dead. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I keep, so today, so here's today, and, and we'll get into your, we'll get into the script here in a moment. By the way, today's uh, excuse du jour is that um, it's Rick Smith's offensive line. So that's the excuse for Bill O'Brien is he hasn't had, Brian Gain hasn't had a chance to redo the offensive line. Mm. And look, I think there's some value. There is certainly some value in that. But what we don't know is how much input Bill O'Brien actually had in the offensive linemen that are on the squad. And number two, if you know your offensive linemen have problems, then you should be, you should be scheming for that. And that's what we don't do, right? We don't scheme for these problems. And we're all going to get to this later. But that is the excuse to zero. I thought you might like to know that. That was the one that's been thrown at me. I've seen on the blog a couple times a day. It's, it's not Bill O'Brien's offensive line, Big Matt. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of the only argument you can make for him this year if you're trying to defend him at all. But you know, Houston had a really good offensive line in 2015 when Brian Hoyer was the quarterback. And then single-handedly won games that they won against Cincinnati and that sort of thing too. And that was you know, Rick Smith's offensive line then as well. And, um, you know, that didn't help anything at all. So it's kind of like you're – no matter what the seller cap, you're going to have problems. And also with the draft capital they had. And also just a really weak offensive line for aging class this year too. You know, you're not going to be able to have everything be perfect. But the biggest problem with the offensive line is that you have – you know it's bad. This is what you have and it's bad. And it's what you do to make up for it. And so in this game, I thought it was going to be like very quiet and nice and peaceful after Houston started to know. <laughs> And it wasn't. It, what was quiet became calamitous, and it was uh, just an insanely stupid game like all the, like the previous five games have been, too. And I think the biggest thing about it offensively was the amount of pressure that was happening with it. Deshaun Watson was sacked seven times in this game. He was pressured often. Uh, you know, Davenport had a bad game. On the right side, Kendall Lamb had a bad game. And it wasn't only just Jerry Hughes. It was also – Trent Edwards had a great game. Kyle Williams may look like it was 2014 again. And uh, the entire pass rush was awesome. They were able to blitz very well, too. Uh, Lamar Miller missed, you know, crucial block that led to a sack. And that was kind of like what I saw offensively, why this thing game became as gross as it was, was just because of the pressure, specifically the sacks, and I guess even more of the turnovers that were created from the sacks. Yeah, and, and I just want to give a shout-out uh, – if you've been listening to the podcast for all these years, you know I love me some Kyle Williams. To me, he was kind of the gold standard, gold standard of a 3-4 defensive end uh, before J.J. Watt came along. The guy's had just a great career. I, I mean, he's productive year in, year out. He's had some injury problems. Now. I think this is like his 13th season or something insane like that. Yeah, he's, he is a fantastic football player, and he was totally chugging from the Fountain of Youth on Sunday. And, you know, I it's kind of nice because it's a guy I've really liked. I've really liked for a long time. Uh, he's a great athlete and great technician all at the same time. You know, not unlike J.J. Watt, right? But uh, to see him have that kind of game was game was kind of fun. But also, why in the hell is he having that kind of game? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no. It, it, Jerry Hughes did a lot of damage. Kyle uh, Williams on the stunts did a lot of damage. Can, can we just bring up? how the Houston Texans and because I'm going to throw this a lot to you right now I want you to talk to us about how important communication is on an offensive line and I want you to talk to us a little bit about um, uh, secondary about uh, Zach Martin because Zach Martin's looked like trash this year too yeah I, I mean I think I mean, part of the part of the offensive line is you know you don't have 
I think part of it is like the biggest thing in the beginning was where they had the guys playing. And, you know, moving down point to right tackle was a disaster. Uh, your ranking didn't play all in the preseason, didn't play in train camp, wasn't ready, left tackle. And so they switched them, and, you know, Davenport was good against Dallas. He was terrible last week. Uh, Kendall Lamb was terrible again this week too. But whenever you're constantly moving guys, you're not having that same continuity between your guard and your tackle and your, ta- you know, your tight end and your tackle as well too. So you're kind of missing blocks. Your calls aren't the same. And it's also you're having to overcompensate and communicate a lot more at the line of scrimmage than you normally would. Or if you play next to a guy for you know, so many years, you don't really have to make any calls at all. You just kind of come up, you identify who the Mike linebacker is, and then you go from there because you know how this other guy is the entire time. And so all these constant moves, I think they were needed. Uh, I would have never played Davenport right tackle to begin with, but like they were needed to be able to you know, change things and get things in a little bit better spots after the fact. Um, and so I, but like the offense line, the pass rush, I think the thing that's kind of like frustrating now is I think they have their five best guys. You know, Lamb has been better than, you know, he a lot better than he was last year. I'd rather see ranking at right tackle, but I'm not going to complain with how, you know, Lamb has been, you know, whatever, which has been hard to find for Houston's offensive line at both tackle positions. But it's the fact that, like, they have these guys, they know who these guys are, and they're not doing anything to really help them. It was another week where there wasn't a lot of play action being run. They're also – they're rarely chipping the tackles. I saw one chip that Jordan Thomas did to help Davenport against Jerry Hughes. Jerry Hughes is like a top 10 you know, edge rusher. He's been awesome this year. Davenport needs help against guy that. They haven't helped him at all. I just saw that one time with Thomas. And they're not doing that. They can even use a slot receiver in chip. They can use a running back in chip. They can use a tight end in chip. There's a lot of different players who can do it, and they're not doing that. And like a great example is like what Carolina did when they went to the Super Bowl in 2015 with you know, Mike Remmers, Michael Harris, their tackles. You know, they weren't very good pass protectors at all but they constantly chipped in with their tight ends, their run backs, their wide receivers to be able to give Cam Newton the time to be able to, you know, throw the ball downfield. And that was a really great offense, you know, kind of as, real, as a result of that. And uh, so with Houston, they're not chipping at all. They're not running a play action. Guys are just rushing at the movement of the ball. And they're having to, not, not having to worry about fighting the football, uh, if it's a run or not or whatever. They're just able to go for, go for it and not have to worry at all. And so the cadence isn't changing up at all. And that's just doomed for guys who are overmatched, like Davenport are, like Kendall Lamb are, uh, like you know, Kelmente can be sometimes. And the frustrating thing is, like, you know who your guys are. You're not going to get much better at all personnel. And so you're not doing things schematically to help these guys out. And so it's frustrating watching you know, Davenport constantly one-on-one against Jerry Hughes. And Hughes is just diabolical in this game. Like, his edge rush is so, like, concise. He's so fast off the ball. He – and then, like, even if you, like, get over in time, too, he's so good at just, like, bull rushing and coming inside even without his, even without his size as well. So uh, I think that's kind of the thing that's been, you know, frustrating for me with, with the tackle play and kind of the communication involved with that as well. Yeah, because, you know, I'm kind of leading the witness here, so you must forgive me. Is that – and you hit upon it. And the big problem that I've had with Bill O'Brien throughout this season is look, if a couple of guys in, in our mother's basement can see this happening, then why isn't the team, why isn't Bill O'Brien scheming for this? I think if you want to spend a couple of minutes tonight, or a couple of minutes when you, after you listen to the show, go to uh, Baldy NFL Twitter account. That's uh, Brian Baldinger's account. And he does a couple breakdowns of the offensive line play that are just pretty much perfect. With, with one, the best one being that the, the Texans can't count. 
and we don't know what we're doing once we snap off the ball and who's taking who and that sort of thing. It's these sorts of issues that are really creating a lot of the problems that we're having today. The other thing is, is that we simply don't do well blocking. Okay, so that's statement of the obvious, right? <laughs> but even on like like that ultimate perfect Bill O'Brien play call, we're gonna dive Alfred Blue on first and one at the at the one against the Buffalo Bills, and like Blue didn't even get close to the line of scrimmage. This is a this is an offensive line problem. But you can scheme around these things. And Matt just went through a litany of the things you can do. You can chip the edge rushers, move the pocket, get the ball out of the quarterback's hand quicker. These are the sorts of things we've been talking about all season. Um, so I'm going to just tell I'm, – I'm kind of monologuing here. I apologize, Matt. I just want to tell you all a little story about when I was watching the game over the weekend. My, my dad was over. My dad's 75. He and I probably went to – know 60 Oilers games over the years growing up uh, so he, he's more than a casual fan he knows a lot more than the average person probably does but he's still kind of stuck in that 1970s 1960s kind of mindset as far as you know the football the game of football goes his wife I guess my mother kind of thing they got married when I was like 35 so it's all kind of weird <laughs> so she, she's like 72 years old she's more than a martial again more than a martial football fan grew up was a teacher, was really big into the football team, where she taught in Corpus. And my uncle, who is 65 years old, uh, who is smart, but also, you know, he doesn't follow football on a regular basis, and he's a Rams fan because of his son, you know, my cousin. So anyway, you have a 75-year-old, a 72-year-old, and a 65-year-old. We watched the second half together of the game. And I can't tell you how many times they asked me, why aren't they helping out the left tackle? Why aren't they moving the pocket? Don't they do play action on this team? If, if that group of people can ask me those questions and I'm sitting there going, because they're the worst coach team in football, that's not Johnny. <laughs> um, I just don't know what else to say. They, they are just so, if, if that group of people can see that the very first time they're watching the Texans and how is not Bill O'Brien seeing it? How is Mike Devlin not seeing it? Where does that improvement come from and whose fault is it? Is it Devlin's fault? Why are we playing Davenport on the right tackle instead of left tackle and moving these guys around? They should have never been moved around. We should have had Davenport at left tackle, uh, Rankin at right tackle, and that should have been it in the story, but it's not. And so now we got Kendall Lamb out there. Look, Kendall Lamb's straight trash. We already know this. We, this is a known known. At least go throw Rankin out there. So this, this whole thing, just if you want to know why we're so frustrated, this is just like a little bit of it. And Matt, I'm done with my rant. Yeah, yeah. And, but that's really what – kind of made this game possible for the Bills. Like you mentioned earlier, they have the worst offensive DVOA in football. They were last in points scored so far entering this game. Uh, I assume that they're still last after a 13-point game again. And what kept them in this game and made this game even close to begin with were the turnovers. Watson threw a red zone interception after Trent Edwards beat Kendall Lamb on the right side of the play. Chase Watson out of the pocket, throws in the back of the end zone. I don't even know who even threw it to. I have to watch the coach's film to even see what was happening there. That was their reception, lost points on. Then the second half, there was a strip sack where uh, Davenport was just beat. There was another strip sack that Trent Edwards created that was recovered by Phillips. And then there was – well, I guess the, the strip sack where Davenport got beat wasn't recovered, but the fumble happened whenever Trent Edwards strip sacked 
Deshaun Watson was recovered by Phillips. And then also Watson threw that beautiful interception where it was uh, Al- Lorenzo Alexander tipped the ball up to himself and, and intercepted it. And then the Bills got, you know, their points off of that. So an offense that came and moved the ball at all whatsoever was given, you know, points immediately because of the, re- because of the turnovers. And so if Houston doesn't turn the ball over, they probably win this game by 20 to three, but because of the turnovers, it keeps the Bills into it and then makes this game, you know, 2013, like, you know, nail biter. This should never have been. And that all kind of goes back to the pressure. And, you know, I know like the coaching wise, there's probably me less kind of discussions about it and less yelling about it because the team is now three and three. And like before Bill O'Brien's been able to masquerade behind this record, he may not be able to, I mean, he's kind of, he's going to be able to kind of again, because the team is three and three now, but it's still not a good football team. It's still a dumb football team. And this isn't a game that they should have, should have even been close. Like, Nathan Pierman should, even, should never have even had the opportunity to lead a game-winning drive in this game and end up working out the other way where Jonathan Joseph has to pick six. But, you know, good teams don't play the Bills 2013. You know, good teams beat the Bills, you know, 23, 27-3 like they should have. Yeah. That's what makes it so frustrating. And, and you know, Josh Allen and Nathan, Nathan Peterman, man, those are the two quarterbacks we're playing against. And, and that's the performance that is so – I just don't even have the words. Any- oh, and son of a gun, Osuna just gave up a grand slam. That's ball game. <laughs> That's eight to two Red Sox uh, to Jackie Brad. Jackie Bradley, really? Oh, he only bench pressed like 95 pounds, too. I- <laughs> yeah, he's a small dude, got to say. All right, save me, Big Matt. I'm turning that crap off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so for – you know, just going back to the pass rush again, uh, what – Buffalo did was they had Hughes rush one-on-one. They also ran a lot of ET stunts with him and Kyle Williams where they used him a lot as the hammer and then Williams as the looper. And that worked out really, really surprisingly well. And then on the other end, they had, they had, uh, they had Edwards and Phillips run those same sort of stunts too. And both time, you know, against both guys, they worked out really well. Uh, the right guard got beat really bad by one, two, by Kyle Williams just swam over him just like really nastily. So that was kind of like what Buffalo did. And they also blitzed a little bit. I thought they were going to blitz more, but they had that one slot corner blitz that led to a sack where Lamar Miller got beat too. And predominantly that's where their pressure came from. Going into this game, my idea was that if Houston was able to not give a pressure to Edwards and Williams to pick up blitzes, and if Jerry Hughes was just the guy creating havoc against either Lamb or Davenport, they would be okay. But the opposite happened. Everybody was getting pressure. Uh, everybody was getting sacks. Watson was sacked seven times. And they weren't able to even, you know, corner the pressure to just use where Watson kind of mitigated from there, you know, stepping up in the pocket or knowing it's coming from this side and that sort of thing. But it was just relentless and it was everywhere in this game. Um, did you see anything specifically at all Buffalo did to create pressure or did you think it was just a lot more Houston's offensive line is bad, they block bad because everything's bad? <laughs> I think they actually moved toward the quarterback, which is why they created pressure. <laughs> and I don't know if it's any deeper than that. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think you, you really nailed it with the stunts. Those are killing us. And, and again, this goes back to, and this is kind of the reason I was leading the witness earlier, talking about the importance of communication in the offensive line. That passing off the pass rushers is so important. And when you have five guys, a couple of them who you've been playing out of position and a couple of them who should be playing in the USFL, which I know no longer exists, and that's part of the reference, is that there's no communication there right? They're, they're, these guys don't know who's picking up who, and this guy's, okay, I know what, he's going to go here, and he's going to go here. When you guys got doing a, a double uh, block, and one guy's supposed to roll off and go get the linebacker, but one guy's not, 
these are the sorts of problems that are being created by this such a young, and they're a very young group, and they're also very inexperienced. And just altogether, it's creating those problems. Mm-hmm. So, no, was it one specific thing? No, I just think that the fact that the Buffalo Bills are alive and sentient beings pretty much did it. Yeah, and their rush has been pretty good this year too. Uh, it hasn't, you know, it's been, you know, like on the fringes of the top ten, and you know, Hughes just been diabolical so far this year. Uh, we had a question from Twitter from Daniel. He said, Derek Newton had a workout save the New York Jets. Should Houston be interested at all in a Derek Newton comeback? I mean, if he's healthy, I, my son and actually, uh, and I were talking about this over the weekend about how an ACL is an injury you can overcome. We we're specifically talking about Deshaun Watson. Patellotendon injuries are really rough, and he tore both of them. So it's, I, it depends on how healthy he is, but I'm not sure at this point if he would be an upgrade over Kendall Lamb. I think who would be is Rankin. I, just throw him out there, put him into the fire, because he's, he's got the upside. We already know what Kendall Lamb brings. But, it, yeah, you get, I think we need to start just bringing in. Matt, what are you weighing up these days? Are you big enough to play? Mm, no, I weigh like 220 right now. Ah, crap. We need to get you to double Dave's stat. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe a different lifetime. Uh, my, my thing with Newton is, I, I, even if he was healthy, I don't think he would come to Houston after they didn't pay his injury settlement like he you know, wanted after they released him like he did. So I don't think he has any interest here at all. I hope he plays again. I really love watching Newton play. And also, I, I really love watching him progress from where he was his rookie year to you know, where he was three years later whenever he got his extension on his contract. Like he was a guy who played high. He was just strong and you know, kind of slow to a, you know, a really good run-blocking tackle and a passable pass-blocking tackle. And that was so far away from where he was, you know, week one in 2013 against the Chargers, you know. And so that was – it was really fun to watch him kind of come along. But I don't think he would come to Houston even if he was healthy. And if he is healthy, you know, I, I hope he signs some more. hope he gets a chance to play. But it's a lot of wishing, you know. Yeah, and that's a great point on the injury settlement. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I think the – the closest he would come to signing in Houston is just dropping by so he can flip off Bob McNair. Or signing in Dallas, I guess. <laughs> or New Orleans, somewhere around there, you know. Uh, or so wa- New Watson. England for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one, too. Gosh. Sorry. So Watson, this game, he had his worst game as a pro in this one. He completed just 13 of his 25 passes for 177 yards. He threw one touchdown, two interceptions. He fumbled the ball three times. I think Tom Savage has even done that in a game. And he was also sacked seven times. So BFD, was this performance to blame on the rush he dealt with? Or were there also like specific things he did have such a terrible game? I think what we're seeing with Deshaun Watson at this point is the David Carring of Deshaun Watson. Uh, I, and I th- think this is in large part due to the offensive scheme and Bill O'Brien and Mike Devlin and the people responsible for, for putting Deshaun Watson in this position. Watson has no confidence. So you mentioned in the notes, he did not push the ball downfield like he hasn't this year, right? He's not been pushing the ball down like we saw last year. Where he was successful was just getting the damn ball downfield, giving his guys a chance to, to win 50-50 type balls, but with better odds. Throwing the back shoulder catches. He threw one to DeAndre Hopkins. That was beautiful. Yeah. But he's just – he's not – last year he was playing – the best comp was really like Rex Grossman and Brett Favre's love child. It was just kind of like, F it, I'm going deep and all over the place, and you can't stop me. This year, he looks like Tom Savage. 
And it's just because that I think that that kind of backyard mentality that they had last year that Bill O'Brien implemented very successfully is gone. Now O'Brien wants him to go through his progressions and, hey, we're not going to do anything, any of this, you know, getting you out of the pocket type stuff because we don't want you to get hurt. We just want you to get hit 15 times and get sacked seven. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's happening to Deshaun Watson right now. I think it's, I think it's almost all mental at this part point in time because it's, I don't think it's physical. He doesn't look except for now his, you know, his, he's got morning. His ribs are purple. Yeah. But it's, I don't think it's because of, of that necessarily. It's because it, the, there's, there's, there's no joy in watching Deshaun Watson play quarterback right now, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. All the, all the hits and everything are especially rough. And I mean, I, the one thing I saw that I wanted to see more of is just him throw the ball down feel like you mentioned I mean, he had that one downfield pass to Kiki Cutie where, you know, Gain came over and deflected it. And that was a touchdown-saving play. That was a great play by Gain. And then in, other than that, though, he just threw that deep pass to Will that he overthrew. And then it wasn't until the fourth quarter that he even attempted another one, which is a play-action pass where he stepped up in the pocket. They're all in the back of the end zone. And that, of course, came whenever Houston was down 13-10. They had a score. And then all of a sudden, here comes play-action. Here comes downfield passing. And he hits Fuller right in the chest. Yeah, there was two. There was like four penalties on the play. I thought Pinata busted open, and Fuller could have caught it. He didn't. They put him at the one yard line, and so it was just kind of like I think Parvis O'Brien in general. Whenever the game, whenever they have a lead, they're not throwing the ball downfield anymore. They're kind of going in the shell. They want to you know control the ball, blah blah blah, and not keep scoring points. And in the NFL nowadays, like it's so easy to score. It's so easy to come back. It's so easy to score quickly. That like a ten point lead's not safe. A seventeen point lead really isn't that safe either. And so I, I mean that's that's what like what you mentioned. Like the biggest thing is just I don't, I'm not seeing him push the ball downfield enough. But I think that's more of an O'Brien thing. And even like the pass rush, the offensive line's not good. You know, but you're stuck with these guys. So you have to do things to make the offensive line better. And he's not doing it. And so the offense is too much. Too often now that Watson's injured and can't be used as a runner. Too often it's run, run. You know, third down shotgun pass and then run, run, third down, shotgun pass. And, you know, maybe you convert like three of, you know, seven third downs, and then you, you get 10 points out of that throughout the game. But it's not nearly enough to run a competent offense, and especially an offense that should have scored, you know, at least 23 points against the Bills, especially considering they got 10 points off fumbles too. But, I mean, for me, it's just mainly just a lack of downfield passing that uh, I think added to, you know, the pass rush for why he had such a bad game in this one. Yeah, what my biggest fear is at this point, and I'll just straight up say it, is that Bill O'Brien is breaking Deshaun Watson. And he's doing it with his, his piss-poor scheming and not keeping him protected, not doing the little things to keep him protected, like the chipping, getting him out of the pocket, the play action. Bill O'Brien had success as an offensive coordinator with Tom Brady as his quarterback. And he's still living in those halcyon days of yore. And until he understands that he has a new set of problems. And I really don't think he does, Matt. I, I don't think he understands that there are a new set of problems that he must process and deal with, that he's just going to keep going back to his uber-complicated scheme that the only person who could run it was Tom Brady. And until that changes, I, I don't know – I don't see Watson being able to pull himself back uphill because right now he's really far down. His confidence is squelched. He's not making the passes he wants to. I don't know how Bill O'Brien brings Deshaun Watson back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think just 
not him being able to be used as a runner, I think, is really hurt. Because, you know, with that, you can run the super cool offense with super cool play action, super cool run plays, which helps solve the offensive line. And him not being a runner, you know, hurts things. I do think Watson's too talented for O'Brien to, you know, completely murder his career in the, five, in the six weeks it's been now. I think Watson's going to be fine long term. I think talent wins out. It's even, you know, I thought he was going to regress this year. And this is more. You know, I think it's like if I look at the overall numbers, like last week's unexpected. But if I look at the overall numbers, I wouldn't be surprised in July that he would have this, have the numbers he's had, you know, up to this point in the year. This, this number of sacks would be really surprising, but the overall numbers wouldn't be uh, just because those five weeks last year were, you know, comment soaring. But I, I thought, you know, in the long term, Watson's talented enough for the talent will win out. I still feel the same way too, like even with the past. Uh, rush issues with O'Brien's scheme, with the you know, frustrations kind of going on, how often he's been hit. You know, the one concern is a bad injury that will keep, kick him out this year. But I think overall in the long term, Watts will be fine just because I think he's too, ta- too talented a quarterback. Well, just remember the same thing was said about RG3, about David Carr. Yeah. It, it, that it, Sometimes you just lose that confidence. You lose that edge. I mean, we all saw, saw Kyle Shanahan break RG3. So, yeah, I think with him that was mainly injury because his he never had the athleticism he ever had again after because yeah. he he also played through like an ACL and uh, his whole knee was gone in that playoff game and he was never the same since that game. Yeah, and, and you're not wrong, but what's happening with yeah, I, I'm just just saying that there's a track record of that happening. I mean, Dave, everybody was saying that about David Carr, him a new head coach, and he's going to be fine. Well, mm-hmm. of course, we had to overlook his inaccuracy down the field, his crappy throwing motion and the sorts of important things. But, uh, you know, watch and shit. You're right. That's that's the glass half full, and I'm going to yeah. go with that for a change. Yeah, and, I mean, it's only been five games, and maybe they'll understand some things, maybe they'll do some things better. I think that's one of, uh, one of the reasons why they're three and three is because they've made some coaching changes schematically that were you know, super obvious after week one that they've gone back and done. So it's not that they won't do it, but they should do it. And they should have done it by now. And through six games, you know, it's been worse than it should have been. Uh, we had a question from Freedom Ride, and he asked, is Deshaun Watson a, a coach killer or a bust? So <laughs> uh, I'm going to go neither, but I'll let you take this one, BFD. Yeah, no. If you haven't met Freedom Ride, Freedom Ride's sense of humor is – is almost as dry as mine. He's a really, really cool dude. He lives in Alabama, so you got to give the guy a break. Uh, he's a super, super cool dude. Really like him. Um, yeah, no, he's neither of those things. But you had a comment earlier today or this week about, you know, kind of the comments I was just talking about, you know, is this the new David Carr with all the things that are going on? And I think that's my that's become my fear is, is – you know, Yogi Berry used to say uh, 80% of the game is half metal or something like that. And it's true. I mean, confidence is really, really important in what you do. If you don't have confidence, you're not going to perform as well. If you're not performing well, how are you supposed to regain that confidence? And a lot of players have gone down that death spiral and eventually just petered out. Now, there might have been underlying factors, physical, whatever, but confidence is so important. And right now, when I watch Deshaun Watson play quarterback, I don't see any confidence whatsoever. I, I, and it's just shocking to even hear those words coming come out of my mouth because after watching this dude through college and last year to say that I don't see any joy 
and Deshaun Watson playing quarterback. I don't see that he's confident. Those are borderline terrifying words, Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Watson's either. I don't think he's a coach killer thing. O'Brien does not enough of that. You know, I think he's suicidal enough himself to <laughs> have Watson. You know, have to pull the pull the trigger whatsoever. And I don't think he's a bust because again, you know, he's obviously talented. I think the talent's gonna win out. I just you know, like again, last year was an insane five game sample. He had touchdown rate that hasn't been seen since uh, Peyton Manning did it, and that was gonna drop off this year, and it has dropped off. Like the regression was you know gonna happen. To the extent that it has, you know, like I said earlier, like I'm the the biggest surprise if you showed me his numbers back in July, it would be the number of sacks he's taken. But you know, like this sort of downturn was expected. Um, so no, I'm not again. I'm not worried about Watson in the long term. I don't think he's a buzz. I don't think he's a coach killer. I think you know Brian has self inflicted enough of this. But like just a little bit of a, a down year was you know should have been expected. I think by more people after what he did last year. We look at the numbers specifically. Yeah, and here's the big difference. Just, okay, if we just want to look straight at numbers. So he's got roughly the same number of attempts in 2017, 2018. He has eight interceptions last year, seven this year. The difference is he had 19 touchdowns last year and nine this year. So that's really the ultimate. And he's taken six more sacks. He's taken one more sack of games. Even that's not, like, crazy tilted. Mm-hmm. Um so, but we can see it's just that that touchdown rate disappeared, and that's where he was so successful last year. That's the regression we talk about. Math is not hard. Yeah. So when something's really big in five games, <laughs> it won't be as big in sixteen games. You know. The law uh, of large numbers, people. Yeah. So this the last thing I want to talk about on the offense was that red zone uh, possession <laughs> that Houston had. So I'm out of here. I'm leaving. <laughs> Night. <laughs> yeah, so they found the ball at the one-yard line after the fuller uh, defensive pass interference. That first and 10, they run inside zone with Alfred Blue. He loses his yard. Uh, well, I guess it's not first and 10, but first and one. Then second and two, becomes a jet sweep with Kiki Cutie. He loses a yard. Third and three, Davenport has a false start. Or Kendall Lamb false starts. Then all of a sudden, becomes third and eight. On third and eight, Jer- Davenport doesn't even get out of his stance. And Davenport... Uh, <laughs> And he Davenport out of his stance. Like, he takes five steps before Davenport takes one. Gets around the edge, pressures Watson. Watson scrolls out to his left. He throws the ball short of the goal line, and it was defensed by the linebacker. It was back turned to the ball. And then Houston kicks a field goal tie at 13-13. Uh, there's been a lot of bad red zone trips, a lot of bad goal-to-goal situations. But this was probably, like, the, the funniest one of the bunch. Just the play calling, the play calling, then the – false start that seemed just inevitable and then you know, the pass rush that you know forces Watson any attempt to make a play that he could actually make this that series was peak 2018 Houston Texans that could that series could not have been any more Bill O'Brien <laughs> if it tried yeah oh my goodness gracious again I when I was watching the game with my family and um, I, I even called the play. I said, they're going to put Alfred Blue right up the middle. And it was, um, it was so perfect. And then the Kiki Cutie play was the exact same play we ran what, last week Dallas. or the week before. Yeah, yeah, I guess Dallas is right. Okay, thank you. And four so, guys hit him on this one, too. Yeah. <laughs> they were ready. Like, there was four guys that hit him. Hey, so, the Texans have one. Broadcast. The broadcast is hilarious because he was like, and Gaines with the tackle, Edmonds with the tackle, 
Poyer with the tackle. Milano with the tackle. Like he didn't like all five guys who got credit with the tackle in that play. I think the, think the bill, hey, you know what, guys? The Houston Texans have one effective play at the goal line. I bet you they run it. Um, and then, yeah, you're in Davenport, Davenporting. No, that was just – I just – I laughed. After that, that when fourth down – because we all knew. You know, on the if you if you look at the hair of the dog, all of us are saying this field goal is going to be fantastic. And <laughs> that's what happened. It's just like this team is so predictable that they suck in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they were they were thirtieth in DVOA in red zone DVOA in this game, and the Bills I think were thirty first in defensive red zone DVOA, and the Bills were giving up a touchdown on eighty percent of all red zone trips, and uh, Houston got one of them, but uh, not the second one. So, anyways, we'll uh, be right back after this quick break, and we're back. So now we'll talk about the defense. Uh, I'm gonna play a quick game real fast. So who's player A and who's player B? So player A, 6 for 12, 61 yards, a quarterback rating of 53.1. Player B, 10 of 17, 84 yards, a quarterback rating of 71.7. I, I think it's Peterman and Allen. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, Peterman was 6 for 12 for 61, and Allen was 10 for 17 for 84 yards. Uh, this is probably the worst quarterback situation in football. Like, I love Josh Allen just because his highs are so high and then everything else is just – I don't, you can't even call it like cellar dwelling. It's, you know, he's in the bottom of the earth. And then he just makes these plays that are just supernovas. Like he stiff armed JJ Watt and then found Kelvin Benjamin, you know, 42 yards down the field. Uh, his arm strength is insane. Like his athleticism is too. And he's 22 years old and he's a baby deer and he should be playing out there. And uh, he's, he's a joy to watch. But I think Peterman's the worst quarterback I've ever seen. His interception rate for his career now is 11.4%. So, if he throws the, I've ever, if he throws a pass, he has eleven point four percent chance to throw an interception, and this isn't rate that hasn't been seen since the nineteen seventies. After this game, he also had an existential crisis and had to talk himself into still believing in God after this DOS pick six that Jonathan Joseph had, and uh, it was just an hilariously bad quarterback game. And then when you throw in kind of like the plays that Watson met, how often he was hit, just all around just disastrous quarterback. Uh, is Peterman the worst quarterback you've ever seen? And have you been able to find any joy in watching Josh Allen play like I have? So to answer the Peterman question, no, absolutely not. He has, oh my gosh. Remember, this is the guy who had five interceptions against San Diego and a half last year. Okay, this guy should, should not be anywhere near a football field. And it was really funny listening to the broadcast because Peterman completed a pass. And the broadcasters are like, oh, yeah, this is the Nathan Peterman they talk about on the practice field all the time. And now we're getting to see <laughs> the NFL game. And I think literally the next play was the pick six, wasn't it? So I think he was, just like had, he just threw it out of bounds, like over got like seven yards. Because he did throw that <laughs> touchdown to Zay Jones. He did. That was a nice that pass. Was, that was a great throw. But, geez, the guy is just not – so so when Peterman came out of college, this is one of the guys who I, I kind of scouted um, – uh, before the 2017 draft, the, the problem was that Peterman came out of a scheme where he was never asked to throw the ball more than like two yards downfield. Like 80% of his completions were, are, were screen-type passes. He just was not asked to push the ball. And this is the exact sort of guy you do not want to draft. He was a very specific scheme, successful player who had a high-ish, it wasn't even a great completion rate, uh, because he didn't have to throw the ball anywhere. He was throwing the ball 
10 yards to his right. I mean, I can throw the ball 10 yards to my right and be successful 70% of the time. It, so it's, you know, the scheme matters in college. Nathan Peterson does, uh, Peterman does not, should not be on a field. Now, as far as Josh Allen goes, yeah, jo- I don't even know how to describe Josh Allen. The only guy who really comes to mind is Nick Lelouch from the movie Bull Durham. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to know who Nick Lelouch was based upon, he was based upon a guy named Steve Dalkowski, who was a, an Orioles uh, prospect for many years. Uh, I don't even think he ever got a uh, cup of coffee in the majors. But a friend of mine played against him. And, uh, and again, we're talking about a guy in the 50s and 60s. My friend passed in the 80s, to tell you how long ago that was. So, um, uh, but the thing about Dalkowski was is that he had no idea where the ball was ever going at any point in time. And he was usually showing up drunk to games and he had, you know, Coke bottle glasses and, and couldn't like, supposedly he could not see all the way to the catcher. <laughs> I don't know if that one's true. I've always loved that story that my friend told me because uh, my friend was a left-handed hitter and Dalkowski threw left. And so you can kind of figure out how terrifying that was. But that's the only guy, like the Nuklaloosh, Steve Dalkowski kind of guy. And, and these are pitchers in, in the minor leagues. And we're talking about an NFL quarterback. And so the only thing it is fun watching Josh Allen play because he's either going, there's either going to be like this fantastic play or he's going to throw a ground ball with ice to the wide receiver, Matt. Yeah. And it's, it's also kind of funny, too, because they have Logan Thomas on their roster. Who's <laughs> the best quarterback on the team? It became a tight end, and he may be the best quarterback on the team. But also, like, that may be the, the path that happens for Josh Allen. Maybe he doesn't actually play quarterback, because he's definitely you're an athlete enough to play professional football. Uh, it may not be quarterback. He may play tight end in the future. Who knows? But I really do. Like, I mean, just like running out like tackles that J.J. Watt has, stiff-arming Watt in the pocket, and just like the lack of fear, you know, back there too, like it, you know, it's also some of the things he does, and you really can you you never see this at all happen. And uh, the night, how naive he is, is just you know so beautiful, you know. Yeah, it's it's it, it. The Buffalo Bills are in a lot of a lot of trouble. Josh Allen is not going to become an NFL quarterback. He is not. I will say that right now. I have never seen a player progress to the point where Josh Allen is now, because I don't think any quarterback has ever been at that point in time. I mean, Kyle Bowler, maybe. And I guess they probably weren't playing at that point in time, too. You know, they look like this and have these problems. The coaches don't play them. And uh, they completely botched that quarterback situation during this year by starring Peterman and you know, Trey McCarron. And then even, you know, not even like – I mean, they traded Tyrod, which you know, is fine because they want to pick to rebuild, but – uh, they could have done a much better job finding somebody week one. You know, even Bridgewater, you know, they could have found somebody that could have gave Allen some time to cultivate because he's obviously not ready. No, yeah, and the, only, the, the closest NFL comp I can come up with is Dan McGuire, just huge arm. But nobody – I mean, McGuire wasn't nearly as athletic. Yeah. So it's – the comps are impossible on him, and he's not going to be successful. I'm just going to say it right now. I would bet – I'd bet a couple hundred bucks on it. I mean, and I, I don't even like to bet because there's just no – when you're at the level of an NFL quarterback, accuracy is not a thing that happens. You either have yeah. it by that point in time or you don't, and it's not going to happen. Yeah, Jake Locker always comes to my mind when I think of a guy like that. Blaine Gabbert. Real yeah, he's American. Pretty, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> so I think – Overall, like, I think I kind of have Houston's defense figured out now. It's not – you know, there's, there's individual matchups. There's great plays like that sack Watt had where he 
you know, went through three blockers to leave. You know, he swam, he swams over the last blocker and leaves make the sack all in use, and that was beautiful. But it's kind of it seems kind of simple where when Houston plays teams that have to run the ball a lot, they're going to be really good against them. They have a great run defense that's not going to change. When they play against teams that spread things out, throw a lot of passes, uh, have a great quarterback, they're going to struggle because, you know, they don't have the quarterback play to cover long enough. And then the only time they've ever had a chance at all, even stopped any drives or eliminate points from happening, is when the pass rush is going. Whenever Juan Clowney are dominant, whenever they're hitting, you know, the quarterback, you know, four or five times each, they each have a couple of sacks. That's the only chance they have against teams that spread the ball out and throw a lot. And even then, they have to hope to win like a one-possession shootout. And I think that's just how it's going to be for the rest of the year. Uh, do you think that kind of sums it up for Houston's defense? I don't think you could have said it any better. And it's weird because it's just such a, like, notebook, you know, as simply, you know, plain put as you can, uh, as you can say it. And in this game, the, the one thing that I saw that I really liked, well, there's a few things, but Bernard McKinney was used as a looper on an inside blitz again. He picked up a second sack in a row. And like O'Brien, which you mentioned about all the different things with this offense that he did before the past that worked that he wasn't doing. Romeo Cornell kind of went through the same sort of thing too, where he wasn't doing the things that worked in 2016 when Houston was a great defense that you know, could have possibly beat New England in a playoff game if it wasn't for your name redacted at quarterback. And now he's starting to do those things. He's using McKinney as a blitzer. Clowney's standing up and blitzing. Watt is getting a lot more one-on-one individual matchups he can win. And are there – I know that you're super happy about the McKinney play. Uh, are there any other you know, little scheme things that you can see Cornell make that can help this defense improve a lot as well? Uh, kind of like the, the way he's McKinney in this game. No, I think that's the big – for me, that's the big one because that's the way you're going to take advantage of your personnel. I mentioned it last week. There's only – two guys who really should be blitzing, maybe three. Um, and that would be uh, Kareem Jackson, Matthew, and McKinney. Don't blitz anybody else. Just don't even waste their time with it. And even Matthew doesn't really do a very good job. So let's make sure you put your guys in position to win. And, and Tyron Matthew had another, in my opinion, had another poor game on Sunday. Uh, he, There were a couple times where his jock was just out there on the field for everybody to point and laugh at. And he's just it's time to get Justin Reed more snaps. It really is. So, uh, oh, and we should talk about that. Ooh, I didn't see that on the script. Uh, so, uh, Patrick Peterson much? <laughs> yeah, I am. So, go ahead. That's, that's, that's kind of a question for you, though. It's a terrible one. Yeah, so we also had that same question that was asked by someone short named Jamie, and he also asked, you know, who could possibly go if Peterson signed and we need to change the scheme at all. So the Cardinals are one in five. They're shopping Patrick Peterson. Uh, I didn't realize he was 28, but he's also – I thought he was a lot older than that. It seems like he's been in the league for forever. And I'm pretty sure he came in the same draft class as Watt and as Gabber and all those guys. Uh, yeah, I know for a fact he came. This, he was in the same draft class as Watt. But he's been a top-five cornerback this year, and the Cardinals want to trade him. Houston has two second-round picks after the Dwayne Brown trade. And at three and three, you know, they're competing for this year. Pearson's under contract for two for this year and the following year. So until his age 30 season and on the free agent market, you're going to have to spend a lot more money to get a player not as good as Pearson as well. And if you can get him for a second round pick, I think that's something that's, you know, for sure Houston can do because if they trade for Peterson, you have a guy who can play press coverage. He can play man coverage on any receiver in football, which is such a valuable thing to do. So you shrink the field by a third and then you can have, 
you know, John and Joseph play more man cut, play closer to the line of scrimmage more often because you can keep his safety over the top. You don't have to worry about him getting beat as often. And then you can even possibly move Kareem Jackson, you know, play more safety too. But I've liked how they've used him on and off between safety and slot corner. And then the third corner at that point, you know, if it's Sharice Rye, if it's Kareem Jackson, you know, who, who really cares? Uh, that's just something that you kind of work out from that point. But yeah, like if I'm not really worried about who wouldn't play, I mean, I guess Sharice Rye would probably play less. I don't know. They haven't really, yeah, I guess, I guess that's what they have to do or Jackson play more slot corner, but uh, I'm for the trade. If it's only, if it's only a second round pick, I'm for the trade. If it's a first round pick, I don't think I would do it, but uh, yeah, I for sure give him a second round pick for Patrick Peterson for all the reasons I just mentioned. Oh, yeah, I, I throw a 2018 and a 2019. I mean, we've talked before. The situation so so difficult is that between J.J. Watt and Jonathan Joseph and Kareem Jackson, we've got a lot of guys that are getting on the wrong side of their careers age-wise. And we are not taking advantage of that offense that should be doing a lot more than what it is today. This, is, this team should absolutely be an AFC championship uh, uh, competitive mode. I mean, we, we should be able to go into New England and win a game with the talent that we've got on the roster. I'm 100% sure of this. And it's embarrassing that we, game in, game out, we're playing one score games against inferior competition. And, and let's be frank, we're playing a last place schedule and we're obviously playing a last place schedule. We've played the Bills. We play, <laughs> we, we're going to play the Dolphins. We're going to play the Browns. We're going to play the Jets. Look, we played some trash teams. I didn't play the Browns this year. Yeah. <laughs> I refuse to watch the Browns. Uh, that, that game's going to be so much fun. I can't wait to watch <laughs> Baker Mayfield against us. And there's no wide receiver talent on that squad at all anymore. But, I mean <laughs> – we're playing a clearly a last play schedule and we've still played one score games. Mm-hmm. So if, if I'm, yes, if I'm Brian Gain, I'm absolutely on the phone. I'm trying to make that trade and maybe we get lucky. Maybe Brian Gain's smart enough to malarkey Bill O'Brien. What's the most you would give up for Peterson? I'd give up a couple of twos, but not in the same year. I'd give him a 2018, uh, 2019 and 2020. Gotcha. Yeah. I think about I think most I would do would probably be a 19. That's that extra second round pick at 19, and maybe like one 2021 or a third round pick the following year, um, just because he's under contract for only two years, and you know those picks are just so valuable as well. And Gaines shown like a, a good job to draft so far. You know a lot of the guys he's gotten later in this past draft have been you know, productive and should be playing more than they have in a lot of different spots too as well. But yeah, I'm pro Patrick Peterson. I completely agree with you too. This is a win now team, and it's also a team that's you know underperforming is at the same time. I mean, doesn't this season is it just me or is this season just like 2015? Yeah, and it's kind of like with the, despite it's the same, but without the quarterback, you know, and it's just like 2014 was too, where you have a talented team that's being uh, completely that's underperforming because of the offense, and the reason why it's underperforming because of the offense is. Before, you can just say it was a quarterback, but now it's for sure the head coach. But it's the quarterback position in a lot of ways. Yeah, and we're just, you know, we can, we're going to, we have a solid chance to win this division now. But yeah. can you imagine us being competitive at all with, I don't know, the Chiefs? Uh, it'd be, Patriots, it'd Steelers? 
hellacious if they play Kansas City. I mean, Tyreek Hill alone would probably score three touchdowns and drop 400 yards on us. <laughs> uh, yeah, so defensively, do you have anything else that you want to add at all? Because I think with the defense, whenever they play bad quarterbacks, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, they stopped the run really well. Uh, they got a little bit of a pass rush and you know, they kind of made – oh, I guess let's talk about Jonathan Joseph. Joseph had, you know, his second good week in a row. And you know, what's changed between the first, you know, four weeks of the season these last two weeks? Well, I think the big thing is, is look at the quality of the wide receivers that are on the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. I mean, Tay Jones is kind of nice, but I, I wouldn't want – be good for a different team in the future. Did I say Tate Zay Jones? Zay yeah, Jones. So he, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be good for somebody else. Calvin Benjamin's done. He looked terrible. I mean, they have no talent whatsoever on that roster. Um, Clay Charles Clay is a, is a fine tight end. He did a lot of damage early on when when uh, Allen was actually, I think he had like four catches on the first drive or something crazy like that. So uh, and by the way, the Texans are one of the worst teams at covering tight ends. Mm. Yeah according to FO. So I thought that yeah. was interesting, but yeah, uh, they, there's not really anything to beat out there. And, and let's face it, that pick, that was Nathan Peterman. He jumped that. I mean, Peterman telegraphed it. Joseph jumped it. You know, you probably could have gotten the guy from the stands. who was half drunk to make that pick too. <laughs> the guy but, who peeked behind Tim. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Tim, our dear leader, Tim could have made that pick. Uh, no, it was a great play by Joseph. I, I don't want to belittle it, um, but it's uh, it was telegraphed. It was obvious. It was the easiest pick of Jonathan Joseph's career. Yeah, it kind of reminded me whenever because after the game, Joseph said, "Well, yeah, he went to Benjamin the play before." I kind of like I knew he was going to go back to him again in the second down play, and like it flipped too because the first throw he made to Benjamin was a a comeback route, and he threw it to his outside shoulder, not his inside shoulder. The next play was you know, similar, except he threw it to his outside shoulder whenever he was cutting inside, and Joseph was able to pick it off and take the house. And you know, he said after the game, like he was expecting that play. And it was kind of like Richard Sherman picked off Schaub in 14. It was like, yeah, we made this type of play in practice like seven times. Like we knew it was coming at that play. And uh, yeah, it was telegraphed. I also, I think the other thing that, that's helped Joseph out a lot, aside from the wide receivers he's played against, you know, Dallas has bad wide receivers too. They're also just playing closer to the line of scrimmage. And I know, like, you run the risk of him getting beat. And if you don't want him playing, you know, close line of scrimmage against, for example, you know, D.D. Westbrook this week, but whenever you're covering Alan Hearns or, you know, Kelvin Benjamin or Zay Jones, like, that's the time to have him play, you know, four or five yards off, let him diagnose the route real quickly, let him break on the ball some. And if you get beat from there, you get beat from there. But uh, there's a lot – the risk of getting beat, you know, deep is a lot less if you're going, going up against worse uh, wide receivers. So I think the other thing that I enjoy about Joseph is he's just playing close to the line of scrimmage and it's helped him out too. Yeah, and it's another funny thing that the broadcaster said was, you know, Jonathan Joseph ran a 4-3 coming out of college. He didn't. And he's still <laughs> one of the fastest cornerbacks in the game today. No, he's not. And <laughs> that, those were funny. That was funny. But, I mean, there's a relationship there, right? You can't do that against Odell Beckham. You can't do that against D.D. Westbrook. You can't do that against um, uh, Dylan Cole. You can't do that. Cole. I think it's Keelan Cole. Keelan Cole, thank you. You can't do that against guys who are, who are burners. I mean, so there's a direct relationship there. Slowed wide receiver. You can push Joseph up and let him do more. 
fast wide receiver, we get burned. And yeah. so there's a direct relationship. So next week against these faster wide receivers, you can't do that. And that's why I like the Peterson thing. And you talked about it. I just want to say it again. Peterson on an island. And then Jonathan Joseph with help at safety, I think, you know, would be a pretty good thing. Yeah. And whenever you don't have the pass rush, you're going 100%. You can actually cover some guys here and there too. Uh, so you mentioned Jacksonville. I think now's a good time to take a quick break and we can talk about uh, the Jaguars-Texans game that's coming up this Sunday. All right, and we're back. So it's week 17 already. We were all so young once. Uh, Houston's set to play the Florida Kitty Cats this weekend. And so now it's kind of a good time to think about the playoffs. You know, Houston's 3-3, three and three, Tennessee's 3-3, three and three, Jacksonville's 3-3. Three and three, Tennessee, uh, in an, Indianapolis is 1-5. So as of right now, who's your favorite to win the AFC South? It's still Jacksonville. I think they're just in a bad streak right now, but I don't think they've got the best talent in the division. They've got the ability to use their talent better than every other team in their division. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, would, I agree, too. I think it's Jacksonville. It's kind of like how I felt with Minnesota earlier in the year when they were, you know, one, two, and one, is that talent usually wins out. And I can't see Jacksonville, you know, really falling off that much farther. Uh, and we'll talk more about them in a second. Uh, do you expect anything out, at all out of Tennessee after Mariota was sacked 11 times last week? I want you – because you kind of mentioned it. I want you to talk about that game. Have you, did you have a chance to watch it at all? I haven't watched it just yet. I'm going to try to watch it tonight. Yeah, that one's on my list because I, I just don't see how that offensive line gave up, gave up that much pressure. I, yeah, that's I just amazing. Because they're the biggest pass blocking offensive lines in football. And what the hell is going on with Matt LaFleur and his scheme? Is this all because of Mariota's elbow? I, I, these are questions I really want answers to. Yeah, I'm going to watch it tonight. And if I have any, you know, expert, real thought-provoking analysis, I'll let you know. Uh, but for Football Outsiders odds, they have uh, – no team has greater than a 5% chance of winning the wild card right now. They have Jacksonville with a 35% probability to win the division. Houston's at 32%. Tennessee's at 22%, and Indy's at 9.4%. So it's Houston and ten- it's Jacksonville and Houston up top. Uh, Tennessee kind of slightly behind. But, you know, it's really just like, uh, I don't know, you have, if you have three different colors on a spinning wheel, you spin it, you know, it could ha- kind of happen any other way from there. But, you know, it's weird that Houston's – you know, if you told me that Houston would be three and three at this point, I would assume that Jackson would be like five and one, kind of have a chance, especially after they beat New England. And they kind of be really set nicely with this division. But so it's the opposite. Both teams are tied at 3-3. Three and three. Yeah, and what's the last game of the season, Big Matt? It's, hopefully it's for the AFC South Championship. <laughs> there you go. If it is, I may have to go this year. <laughs> that's the favorite. That's the – that's the – oh, God. I got some student loans paid off. I think I can be able to swing it oh, if it happens. Yeah. If it finally happens, you know. <laughs> Gosh, my heart wants nothing more. So Jacksonville this year, they're 29th in points scored. They managed to only put six on the Titans. They put 14 on the Chiefs. And last week, they put seven on the Cowboys. But in their other games, they scored 20, 31, and 31 against the Giants, Patriots, and Jets. So BFD, why does Jacksonville have such high highs and such low lows on offense? I think it's Leonard Fournette. Um, he does so much, and he takes so much off uh, Blake Bortles that and we've talked about you know this on the show that the last person you want trying to win a game for you is is Blake Bortles. That's why I, I, why I don't like Sam Darnold is kind of put him on the same league. 
and when we were talking about Houston's 27th in offensive DVOA, Jacksonville is 26th. So, again, context for how bad Houston's offense has been this year under the wonderful guidance <laughs> of Bill O'Brien. Uh, but, yeah, they, I, I think it's Fournette. He just takes all the pressure off of uh, Bortles, Big Matt. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. I think when they really miss Fournette is whenever Bortles is inaccurate. And that game they played against Tennessee was like that, where Bortles was just – the other guys open their crossing roads and like to run. Bortles was just missing him. He was inaccurate that game. And that's where then they miss Fournette. So whenever Bortles is off, they miss that guy. You can run between the tackles and get, you know, four yards, five yards, you know, six yards consistently. He really has never had the big open field runs aside from that big red hat against Pittsburgh that everybody remembers so fondly. Other than that, like he's been – he hasn't been able to get in the second level, the open field that well, but he's been able to consistently get those four or five yards between the tackles. And I think that's whenever they miss him is whenever – uh, Bortles is super inaccurate. And then the other problem that they've had in offense is that they've fallen behind in all those games. Mm-hmm. Against Kansas City, they fell behind. Against Tennessee, they fell behind. Against um, against Dallas last week, they fell behind. And whenever they're behind, it puts more pressure on Bortles. And Bortles is kind of like you know a college freshman who misses his parents where if he sees anything gruesome or sad or you know anything hurts his feelings even a little bit, he has a breakdown. And so he needs to be in a perfect situation, be a good quarterback. And he has been good in those perfect situations, but whenever he's coming back from behind, that isn't there anymore. And then there's more pressure on him to, you know, convert these third downs to make downfield passes. And that weren't, you know, that aren't used to there before whenever the defense is able to have a lead. And then I think they even play a lot more aggressively too on defense than they have a lead. So I think this is the big thing with Jacksonville or those two things. And also I think teams are kind of catching on to him too. Because they switched their offense about halfway through last year, went to a more of a spread lateral crossing route offense from that vertical one they ran for so long. And now teams are playing a lot more zone against them. They're coming down, they're tackling. Like Didi Westbrook on a crossing route isn't surprising all anymore. It's the norm. Uh, I think they're going to have to switch that and throw vertically more often. I think throwing the Chark Jr. like they have been is a way to help. Moncrief is just pretty slow. He's not that good of a downfield threat. But also getting Cole uh, around as well, too and then getting uh, D.D. Westbrook a more vertical passing routes. I think that's how they're going to have to get this offense going is by doing that, keeping safeties back, which, uh, again, allows you know those crossing routes to open up in the running game too. Because whenever you're playing in that you know, 12-yard box, things become suffocating, and I think that's what's happening to them right now. Yeah, and we pointed that out last year. And just, again, for the record, Matt and I are awesome at pointing these things out is that that's how they were so successful against the Patriots last year and, and about, you know, getting to the playoffs is that they were running those quick slants and they were getting those guys one-on-one against man coverage and being so successful against it where now teams are, have, have adapted to it and you have to continue to adapt. I mean, it's not like, you know, if you're Blake Bortles, you just can't go out and go, Hmm, I'm playing the computer in Madden. I'm going to keep doing the same thing every week. You can't mm-hmm. do that. They're going to adapt to you. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, I mean, like, it's it's weird because it, it worked. And, like, I, I was really excited for their offense in all ways because they knew who they were and they kind of doubled down on it uh, by signing Andrew Norwell. And the other weird thing about their offense, too, is you're expecting injury regression to their defense, and it's happened to their offense instead. Offense. They're on their third left tackle. Uh, you know, Marquise Lee was out before the season even started, too. 
And so that's where, and Fournette's out right now. So that's where you're expecting the injury regression, not on, on their defense, on their offense. And their defense has regressed, um, especially their past defense has compared to how it was last year too. So um, that's kind of been the, the problem with them on their defense. But also I, I do think their defense has been – like last year they gave up 40 points to Dallas. Prescott didn't even have 183. He had 183 passing yards. He even threw for 200. They scored 400. 40 points, I mean. So what happened in that game against Dallas last weekend? It was just a lot. It was just weird. It was a lot of easy scores, it seemed like. I didn't watch that game very intently, and I'd like to go back if I have time, LOL, to go back and watch that one because that was just – every time I looked up, it seemed like Dallas had the ball deep in Jacksonville territory. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know what happened, but it was really weirdly ugly. Yeah, and, and that dog's going to eat your face at some point. I know. she's She was bored. And she's getting bored. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, yeah, like watching that game, too, for, for Jacksonville's defense, I think they played way too much zone coverage. I think they were playing a lot of cover four, a lot of cover two. And I don't understand it. It's kind of like what they did against New England, the AFC South Championship last year, where they're playing a lot of cover three, a lot off man. And you have A.J. Boya, you have Jalen Ramsey. And, not, and that's against the Patriots, you know, with some skill at the wide receiver uh, position last year. You're playing the Dallas Cowboys where Allen, like, Gallup is their best wide, deep throw wide receiver, and you're playing off-man coverage with the best quarterback tandem in football. And so that's been really, like, you know, annoying and I guess surprising, too, how, you know, the lack of aggression they've had in their secondary where they're not trusting their outside quarterbacks. And I think part of it last week was – the fact that DJ Havens her and Tyler Patman was starting at slot corner. Patman's awful. So then they play a lot of zone and make up for that. But again, you're going against the Cowboys, you know, passing offense. There's no need to adjust that far because of, you know, the loss of your slot corner. So that was a, I, I really understand that. I think that was kind of the big thing that hurt them in that game against Dallas was how off they were, how the lack of aggression or secondary too. I'm dumbfounded because, again, I didn't watch the game intently. I just had it up. I was working on Sunday after the family left. And if you're playing Ramsey and Boye and zone, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still can't. I will never forget that game last year. They had Boye playing you know, seven, eight yards on Brandon Cooks in the AFC South title game. And they just let a defensive pass on field. It led to holding penalties and pass interference calls and opened up all those like short deep throws that they ran as well, too. So. I don't know. I don't know why their defense coordinator has done some of the things that he's done. Yeah, wow. So Jacksonville, after last week, they were sixth in pass defense DVOA. I don't know if they've dropped two uh, today. I mean, seventh. They're seventh. So they dropped one spot. Uh, Last year they were first, and they were way ahead of Baltimore, too. I think they were about 13% higher than Baltimore as well. And so what do you think is going to happen this game? Do you think Houston's going to struggle? To, to throw the ball like they have in previous weeks? I, I think it's going to come back to the fact that I, I don't see us blocking the Jaguars' pass rush at all. Remember the first game last season, you know, Tom Savage was basically just a human sacrifice in the first half of the first <laughs> game last year. I don't know how that changes this year at all. Um, hold on. I need to – sorry. Uh, I don't know how that changes this year, and especially as bad as that offensive line has been playing with that poor communication and Deshaun Watson not being able to move out of the pocket. And, you know, really, Bill O'Brien should not make Deshaun Watson wear concrete cleats. Um, 
<laughs> you guys, you have to, you should see the dog attacking Matt. It's just, you can't even get your eyes off it. It's so cute. Um, so I, I don't see how this, this game, let, let me put this in a way that, in a way, honest way. I don't see how Deshaun Watson escapes his game uninjured, Matt. Mm. Do you think Jacksonville's going to have like 10 sacks and become Saxonville again? I think so. I, I don't see how we stop. I, I don't see how we stop any of those guys. I don't see how we stop Clay Campbell. Uh, Campbell was hurt. I'm not sure what his – I haven't checked on his status, but he got hurt during the, during the uh, Yeah, he left in the Dallas game. game. Yeah. Uh, but Ngakwe, I, I think, is, is – you know, I can see a lot of these guys. And you can blitz the Texans right now because we're not going to pick up blitzes at all. You can do interior stunts because we're not going to pick up the stunts at all. And – Durga forbid we actually move Deshaun Watson out of the pocket and do things with them. Maybe Bill O'Brien's just been trolling us the entire time. Maybe this is the game where is you know the first big divisional game that we're playing this year. Maybe this is a game that we actually do something real on offense. LOL. So uh, I think we have to do the sorts of things. We have to keep Deshaun Watson alive because man, they've got some big, strong, fast guys that. I'm just not really optimistic heading into Sunday, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think this is going to be one of those games where it's even in this postmodern NFL where nothing means anything and there's no repercussions the quarterbacks face at all and they can do whatever they want. I think it's going to be like a, a 16-13 type of game where whichever quarterback turns the ball over the least amount of times is probably going to win. Uh, I, don't, I don't see Houston's offense doing much of anything. One, they can't run the ball against you know, good fronts like this. And then, two with the pass rush they're going to have to deal with. I bet Campbell probably plays, but even if Campbell doesn't, they still have, Don, they still have Fowler. They still have Ngakwe. They still have you know, Brian, who's a good, who's a, you know, good rookie at you know, pass rushing from the interior. They still have Malik Jackson. These guys aren't going anywhere at all. And they're not – just because Campbell's not there, their best part of the defensive line, doesn't mean they don't have any depth at all behind it. Um, the other thing I forgot, too, about that – game last week was they actually I was watching reading an article about it and they were actually having Jackson drop into pass coverage akin to you know how Vrabel used Clowney at times too which is absurd but you know regardless of what the defensive type of play is uh, I think it's going to be a lot of just low scoring and the passers to be bad and also on the outside you know with Boye and Ramsey they're going to play aggressive man coverage against them I think it's going to make things even more difficult for Watson too so I'm expecting just a low close game I'm not really expecting anything at all from Houston's offense in this one, kind of like how it was in you know week two. Yeah, and uh, Campbell isn't on the injury report as okay. of today, at least. Yeah. So who do you have in this one? Again, let me just say, Clay Campbell, Ngakwe, Malik Jackson, Marcel Marcel Darius, Miles Jack, Tobin Smith. <laughs> I don't know how he stopped these guys getting to the quarterback. I just don't. So my guess is we have played six one-score games so far this year. Six. We are three and three in those games. I don't see how this is a trend that continues. Like, this is just not a thing that happens. (laughs) And so I think it's going to be a two-score game either way. Ooh, new news on Josh Allen. Mention that. We'll miss the next two or three weeks. Okay. So anyway, 
I don't see how this is a thing that continues. So I'm going to go with us being on the short side of the stick. Um, uh, we are in Jacksonville. There will be a lot of meth done in Jacksonville because that's what Jacksonville does. Uh, Texans at Jaguars, 10-21. Oh, it's in Jacksonville, too. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I think we're going to be on the really short end of the stick. I'm going to go 27-6, Glitter Kitties. Yeah, I have Jacksonville 16, Houston 13. I'm going to stick with the one-position trend. Um, I do think the one key for Jacksonville, it's kind of like a dog race where whoever gets out in front usually wins. And if Jacksonville gets out in front, they're they're an entirely different team. I think Watson has one or two more turnovers than Blake Bortles, which is an unbelievable sentence to have. But with how often he's been sacked, with how often he tries to get rid of sacks by throwing the ball and not taking care of it. And then – also, just how good like this pass defense can be. I'm just expecting Watson to turn the ball over more than you know Bortles. Just should have an easier pocket, and they actually like they use him as a runner. They run zone reads. They run quick easy throws. They do things to make lives easier for Bortles. So I think it's close. I just think Jackson wins 16-13. I think kind of like you know I'm betting more on Jackson's talent than Houston's talent and like the coaching staff overcoming the weaknesses that they have. Yeah, for me, it's all about the coaching staff. It really – because I think these teams, fairly comparable talent-wise, uh, we have the big – we should have the big step up just by having Watson as a quarterback instead of Bortles, right? So that's why I kind of look at them as very even talent-wise. But what I don't see is I don't see Bill O'Brien ever making an adjustment. I, I just see the same year, week in, week in, out, year in, year out crap that we see. Bill O'Brien expecting his – offensive success from 2007 or whatever working in this game i just it's just it's so frustrating game in game out to watch it yeah yeah i know what you mean um so anyways that's all we have for tonight thank you for the questions everybody asked on twitter and also on the side itself uh we'll be back on reviewing the jacksonville texans game uh next tuesday the show will probably be published around 9 p.m or so and also on Thursday night, we'll do a, a preview show, and they'll be published on 9 o'clock. And we'll talk probably about, a little bit more about this Houston-Jacksonville game and three other games for you know, Week 7 of the NFL season. Uh, because ever after games like Houston-Buffalo, it's always uh, nice to watch other football teams who play actual good football who uh, do the right things, the smart things. So, anyways, thank you for being on tonight, BFD. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>